Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to a very special 2017 World Cricket Show Christmas special starring me, Adam Bayfield. And joining me tonight is a man whose jolly disposition, scraggly beard and cavernous belly are an integral part of the Christmas season. It's none other than Tony Kerr. Hey, special to be here. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for having me round. Thanks for uh, coming down. Thanks for inviting me into your home at this... uh, very special time of year and offering me we well, haven't really offered me anything actually have you it's not not a mince pie inside just try not to sit on the sofa yeah. <laughs> ruin the cushions you've given me some water and, uh, well yeah exactly. a lump of coal as well uh, well i mean to be fair to you though I, we're not really feeling particularly festive are we still uh, still very much wallowing in the gloom of england's ashes defeat we're only about 36 hours on from the defeat in perth so uh yeah, not not too uh, not full of Christmas cheer. I would say that the nut roast is going to taste quite bitter this year. Yeah, not much festive about uh, a potential whitewash. Mm. Oh. Here we are then. Here <laughs> we are. It's always good to start on a positive note, isn't it? I mean, you've not even decorated our studio in here, Tone. You couldn't even muster up the energy for a, a bit of tinsel around the microphone arm. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a visual medium, though, is it? This. <laughs> Although, having said that, we have just taken the World Cricket Show 2017 Christmas photo. The obligatory so, annual spectacular. It's a, it's a big moment in the year. Uh, so look out for that on your, your social media channels in the, in the coming days. It's up there with like a, a Michael McIntyre Christmas chat show, Mrs. Brown's Boys. It's that sort of regular annual event. It's really become a, a big part of the the Christmas tradition, hasn't it, in the UK? Yeah. You know, you've got your Strictly Come Dancing final, you've got your Apprentice final, uh, I'm a Celeb, and the World Cricket Show Christmas photo. Those are the big things at this time of year. It's up there. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, shall we press ahead then? Let us let me look at, at what's uh, the first item on the agenda here. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll open my Christmas list here. Desolate, depressing, limp, predictable soul-destroying. Uh, but that's enough about the World Cricket Show Christmas party. Let's <laughs> talk about, Tone, England's performance in the third Ashes Test in Perth. Uh, can you remember what happened in this game? Uh, vaguely, yeah, vaguely. I, my, You're trying to blot it out, are you? Yeah, exactly. I had my Christmas party on Saturday night. Right. So, uh, you got absolutely hammered, like as hammered as you could possibly get. Obliterated, like... <laughs> Yeah, like, really, you know, I'd fit in well on an Ashes tour. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, exactly. Just, you know, memory loss-inducing levels. And of, that was very know. deliberate. You set out with oh, that intention. Yeah, that was, the, that was the intention all along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I'm sure you're going to run me through what happened, just in case I missed any of it. Yes, well, England won the toss. Actually, for the third time in the series, this is uh, something worth pointing out, as England are 3-0 down, having won all three tosses. They won the toss, chose to bat this time, did Jeru and it seemed to be going very very well uh, when they were uh, 368 for four hundreds for David Milan and Johnny Bairstow uh, they were sitting pretty would have been thinking you know of that they'd been thinking of posting 500 plus but then suddenly uh, there was an incredible collapse and they were 403 all out Australia at one stage were 55 for two and, and England did seem to be very much on top. And even at the end of day two, Australia had, had a much better day, but they were still about 200 runs behind. But just an unbelievable partnership between Steve Smith and Mitchell Marsh back in the side. Smith with 239, Marsh with 181. They declared on 662 for nine 
Uh, they're obviously a long way ahead in the game and England couldn't even make them bat again. They were all out for 218 with Josh Hazelwood taking five for 48. And that wrapped up an enormous victory for Australia by an innings and 41 runs to seal the series and regain the Ashes. So, Tone, after everything that's happened in the, in the four years since uh, the defeat in Australia last time, here we are again in exactly the same place uh, with another defeat in Australia and possibly another whitewash on the cards. What's been your reaction? Can you give me a <laughs> can you give me a general sense of how you're feeling right now? Uh, I, yeah, it's just a you know an overbearing sense of just of underwhelmment. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's one of our iTunes reviews. I think. <laughs> just relentless underwhelment. <laughs> that is the correct version of that word yeah i don't know you know it's going to be a tough sell is that the next ashes series done under you know we, we we succumbed to typical uh levels of pre sort of pre tour pre kind of world cup optimism mm. that comes along you know you're not thinking straight i don't think we've got everything wrong though we've <laughs> england have certainly got more wrong than we have most of my notes tonight are just ways in which i've been proved correct <laughs> <laughs> Some uh, of them are ways in which you've been proved wrong. But. I'd imagine there'll be a few of those yeah. in there. You know, we, we danced around stuff. You know, I, I was positive when England lost by 10 wickets. Uh, <laughs> those were great days. Those were <laughs> great days. And then, you know, Adelaide, yeah, going into the final day, only requiring a record chase. You know, <laughs> we were in the game, apart from requiring to to make absolute history uh those are heady days uh, yeah and then just yeah the, the the way this test match played out was, was just it, it was a grinding slow unpleasant end very very slow death wasn't it yeah and it, you know even the you know the, the fourth innings that's uh, sorry the third innings rather uh yeah it was just it was, it was pretty limp yes all around it, it was hard to it was hard to feel inspired to get out of bed for that fifth morning. And I'm glad I didn't because obviously there was rain on, on the final day. But there was just, yeah, the grinding is the word, Tony. There was such a grinding sense of inevitability about it all. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry. No, there's no need. I didn't need to add anything there. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, what I want to do, Tony, I, I think we should talk about Australia first. I think, you know, we've all got a lot to say about England and the temptation is very much to focus on England and, and, and talk endlessly about their failings. And we will do that. Uh, but let's talk about Australia first, because what I want to know is, have we been remiss in, you know, have we not given them enough credit? You know, in, you know you've said about we were feeling slightly optimistic coming into the series, or at least not completely pessimistic. And, you know, we've each said things like, uh, and when I say we've each said, I mean, you've said things like, you know, oh, England have problems, but Australia have problems of, of their own, or their batting looks fragile. Even as recently as the last episode, I think you were saying, you know, Australia have been better, but they're not that much better. They're not that, that much better. I think you said something like that. You know, have we... So I feel ha- like I'm in court here. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't remember, I don't recall saying that. For the benefit of the tape, have we underestimated them a bit? You know, how good is this team? No, I don't think we've underestimated them at all really i think much of what we say is still valid steve smith is a you know is a freak and is, you know is, is doing unbelievable things uh, you know he's really at the peak of his powers it would seem or potentially not but who knows but you know it's been more difficult for england to get around him than perhaps anyone might have expected even though we knew obviously he was, he was a very 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 good player but other than that i mean I, the one thing that i do keep coming back to in my mind and it you know, it's not an excuse for England, but everyone's just, you know, England are getting a lot of criticism and, you know, fair enough in some regards. But Australia still lost the last Ashes series in England and the one before it and the one before it. So, yeah, what are, what are we actually learning here? As bad as England and as toothless as England have been, and, you know, and this will go back and forth. I was having a conversation with, you know, someone the other day and, you know, they, they were saying, you know, England's cricketers are a bit pathetic in terms of they can't play mm. not in their own conditions. But there is an extent of which it's true on the other foot as well. So, well, it's true of most test teams. Yeah. Right, and I, I, so I, I do think that has to be a more considerable factor in this than people 
are making uh, it out to be. And uh, and the other the other aspect as well is just the other performance of of certain players in the England team, and, and perhaps you know the hastening of their their end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously Australia take a huge amount of credit, but you know most things that they've done have, have sort of come off, and you know they have got a fantastic attack. That's there's no doubt about that. They've got Steve Smith. Uh, you know, again, we, we we talked about it ahead of the series. What what would be your prediction now if this series was played in England? Well, no, well that's interesting because yeah, as you say, Australia haven't won a series in England since two thousand and one. As recently as two years ago, they lost quite heavily. I mean, yes, it finished three two, but you know, uh, the final test was a dead rubber and, you know, England won that fourth test so convincingly that it, it really, you know, the ashes the ashes disappeared pretty uh, pretty, pretty meekly for Australia. Um, and that is true, but I think you would have to say that looking at it at the moment, and maybe it's just because, you know, right in this moment, um, the gap between the teams seems pretty vast because of these conditions. But I think you'd have to say you'd give Australia a, a fair chance of, of ending that barren run next time just because, you know, most of the uh, exciting no, young players that have been on show in this series have been playing for Australia. Just looking at that bowling attack, you'd think, well, there's no reason why they wouldn't enjoy English conditions. And it it just seems like... I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sort of suggesting that this Australia team is... Uh, one of the best Australian teams ever or even the best team in the world right now necessarily they've maybe got the best bowling attack in the world right now but I, I don't know you'd say they're the best team they do still have weaknesses which England just haven't been able to exploit to the full but I think they've been a bit better than than we thought and certainly better than uh, some people uh, some people were suggesting they were and one thing to say is that I think Australia's selectors deserve a lot of credit like they that they will enjoy their nut roast this Christmas, won't they? Because you know they made some pretty big calls coming into the the first test, and they were you know very controversial at the time. You know, recall for Tim Payne, recall for Sean Marsh, leaving out Matt Renshaw. They you know as the series has gone on, they've brought back Mitchell Marsh as well, and with the possible exception of Cam Bancroft, the others have all paid out in a big way. And you know, obviously, there's an element of you know with any selection, there's a, a slight element of fortune in how some things go but nonetheless i think they've you know they they do deserve credit i think on paper you'd still say even after what we've seen with them scoring 600 in perth that their batting looks a little bit fragile you know beyond steve smith and warner who hasn't had a great series but you know beyond them there's definitely frailties about each of those batsmen but they've been more than good enough haven't they and and you know the marsh brothers have certainly delivered it it'll be a good christmas in the marsh household this year won't it i mean it, it'll be interesting to see how those two get on in uh against you know a better bowling attack in more demanding conditions but they they they've certainly uh they've certainly justified their recalls and what about steve smith i mean this is his this is his highest test score it's his second ashes double hundred only the fourth batsman to score two or more double hundreds in Ashes cricket. Actually, one of the others is Don Bradman, and he has eight. So he's got some way to go there. But nonetheless, he's joining a, a fairly elite club there. We said before the series that if England couldn't find a way to keep him quiet, they'd lose the Ashes. That's very much happened, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, no one, no past player, no pundit has yet come up with anything, any word of, of advice that has been able to be you know that's been used or <laughs> looked at or tried that has come off i yeah I, I, you know i think there's a lot of head scratching going on as to how you'd bowl to him the advice seems to be be better yeah <laughs> it's like get wassy macram to bowl <laughs> that's basically the advice isn't it uh and it's, and you know what more can we add that that hasn't already been spoken at length you know uh in the, in this test match the, the commentators had you know, nearly 600 minutes to, to, <laughs> yeah. to pontificate on how good he is. Uh, yeah, I've got to get up for a flight at 6am, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I want to... Uh, we'll last that out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, one thing, one thing that I would like to say is that, uh, you know, the, the Steve Smith story is incredible uh, for all the reasons that we have talked about, you know, of the fact that he was, wasn't originally a batsman, that he came into the team as a leg spinner. And it's still worth reminding people of, of that fact because it's extraordinary that he's now, you know, in terms of uh, the rating points in the ICC ranking system, he's now only Don Bradman has a better rating than Steve Smith in the history of Test cricket. But what's also extraordinary about the Steve Smith 
phenomenon is that no one would coach somebody to bat like that. And maybe they will now. I mean, you wonder whether he's kind of putting coaches out of a job. Like, if you think about our cricket coach when we were at school, zone, he'd have had a heart attack if, <laughs> if one of us had gone out to bat and batted like his like Steve Smith. Like, his technique is so bad in a classical, you know, textbook sense. It's extraordinary that he's able to achieve what he does with that technique. I mean, it, you know, when the ball moves around, then suddenly that technique does look as dodgy as you'd think it would. But when it doesn't move it's actually an incredibly effective technique. But I think it's, in a way, I think it's great that he's doing all this with a technique that nobody would advise a young player to have because it kind of suggests that there's a lot more to cricket than perhaps people often thought. And um, and also it's it's what it's indicative of is, is just, it's a, a real triumph of character and a real triumph of concentration above anything else. Like you say, he batted for 600 minutes. So he, how many times does he play and miss? Like twice? maybe even once playing a defensive shot. And that is the difference between him and Root. There's no doubt that Root has got at least as much ability and maybe more. But Root keeps getting out between 50 and 100, presumably because he loses concentration a lot of the time. Smith never does. And that's phenomenal, isn't it? Another thing that we said before the series is that ultimately Australia's pace bowlers were likely to be too strong for England's batsmen. If you strip away everything else around the series... Is that fundamentally what's happened? As well as Steve Smith being brilliant, is the story here that Australia's bowlers have, have just been too good? Yeah, I mean, they've been better. I mean, Australia have been better in every area. There's no doubt about that. And, and, and you know, the bowling attack more so because as a unit, they've all been putting their hand up in every game, pretty much. Uh, whilst you could say that Smith, you know, with some exceptions, has dominated their batting all the bowlers could lay claim to, to being the, the bowler of the series in, in some regard uh, so far, which is really impressive, isn't it? Mm. Just, just to have that consistency uh, and those options in the, in the team. Uh, yeah, they have been brilliant. I, whether we saw the ball of the 21st century in that, that test, I don't know. There's a lot of debate about it. That was stark to James Vince, wasn't yeah. it, in the, in the second innings? I mean, it was an extraordinary ball for anyone who hasn't seen it. He comes from round the wicket for a left armour. Uh, it's go- it's actually going down the leg side, isn't it? If, if the ball hadn't moved, it would have missed leg stump and Vince goes to kind of clip it off his legs and it ends up hitting the top of off. It hits a crack in the pitch, doesn't it? And jags off towards off stump. Oh yeah, I saw some people saying, yeah, it's the the best ball bowled, you know, round the wicket that hit a massive crack on a, you know, <laughs> in a day four pitch. Yeah. And... So, and you know I kind of get that point but equally that's what all bowling is it's just it's an attempt to exploit some thing that's naturally mm. there whether you, you know when Warren rags that ball he, he didn't rag every ball like that mm. it obviously it was a combination of, of catching you know, perhaps putting a few extra revs on and it catching the right bit of grass for it to just connect and, mm. and spin off so in that sense, you know, would, would there be would there have been another bowler in that you know, in this match that could have produced that delivery? Probably not. So, on that basis, there was a there was a huge amount of skill to doing that. Yeah. So I would fall somewhere in the middle then and say, yeah, well, yeah, but I, I it, think it, it wasn't not a good ball, but I don't think it was the ball of the century. Well, I, it was a great I mean, ball. I think it was a fantastic could, yeah. ball, but I, I can think of better deliveries than that. I, I don't know. I think. Uh, aesthetically mm. and you know you talk about sort of great goals in football you know a great volley in football requires a you know it requires fantastic technique but it also requires you to catch it in just the right spot and it requires it to aesthetically hit just the right part of the goal and I think in the same way this ball you know it it was a moment of magic just because uh, you know the, the pace and the aggression and the steaming in of Stark and then the, the way it the moved and, and Vince's reaction and the celebration it, it was yeah it was an unbelievable moment you know v- Vince just completely dumbfounded and you know and then people said it no one's getting a bat on that no one's playing for that line no I mean it is also the most recent ball <laughs> that, <laughs> you've seen, thing, yeah. that you've seen this is the thing <laughs> which may have something to do with it but no I mean I it, it may well be top 10 of this century I mean, I, I, you know, I think I talked about on the previous show that Ryan Harris is pulled to cook in the 2013 Ashes. For me, that would be ahead of that just because that actually moves through the air and off the pitch. Like there's, there's clearly skill Greedy. out of the hand as well as getting that 
bit of fortune as it hits the seam. I can think of Dale Stain to Michael Vaughan. And they, I mean, these are all uh, matches involving England, actually usually against England, uh, but matches involving England, and you know, there's obviously, there'll be others as well involving other teams. I don't think, you know, I think it was a, a real rush for Vaughan to be like, to tweet out immediately, that's the ball of the century. I, I wouldn't go that far, but it was an incredibly good ball. And you're right, every single one of the Australia bowlers can lay a claim to being the best bowler in the series. Stark's got the most wickets. A lot of people would say Cummins has actually been the most impressive, but he's got the fewest wickets of, of the seamers. Hazelwood obviously had this tremendous performance on the final day here, as well as taking those two vital wickets on the final day. And Adelaide, like he's taken key wickets. And then there's Nathan Lyon as well. Um, it's a phenomenally good attack. I mean, things have come together quite serendipitously for them in the sense that they've managed to get them all fit at the same time, which has never happened before. And it may not necessarily happen again. I mean, already Stark is a doubt for this fourth test and how often these four will play together remains to be seen. Although Cummins does look fit now, doesn't he? He looks looks well fit. Um, And that, I think, is good news for cricket because he is such an exciting, uh, genuinely fast bowler and there's not too many of those around so so that is good news not great news for england but it's uh, it's good news for cricket come on cricket should we talk about england then you've been uh, you've been sharpening your knives all the way through that bit of conversation yeah no I i'm not sure knife sharpening i uh, know i haven't been sharpening my knives i've been i've been pouring everyone a cold beer <laughs> uh, i don't know it's just extremely disappointing yeah, I mean, there's been so many words written. I've been struggling to read them all. Uh, and as you know, I like to read all of the words. Yeah, you, you do love to read. I don't want to miss any. Hashtag love to read. I, I don't think there's a consensus, is there, on what exactly has gone wrong. You know, it, clearly it is a combination of a few factors, many factors maybe. There's been people, play, you know, that's in terms of circumstances on and around the tour, but also the wider issues you know relating to the you know the county game and the championship and the mm. ecb and the, the you know the coaching staff and that the, you know we we could and probably will i'm sure go through a blow by blow account now i mean i think you know whatever the background uh to this to the situation whatever the background with ecb and the way you know the domestic game is set up england went into the series as we knew with gaps in their team now milan for example, has stood up and uh, you know comes out with a lot of credit. A couple of others haven't quite performed, but crucially, you know, England's big names just just haven't performed, have they? And, and you know whether that's in the case of of Cook and perhaps Broad and Anderson, it's just that they're you know they've just run out of steam mm. completely. Uh, or in the case of Root, that you know maybe there's there's just too much of a burden with the captaincy, or there are you know deeper flaws emerging with his game. I don't know, but you know. If even two of those had had a, a good series, two of uh, Root, Cook, Broad, and Anderson, then we might be looking at a more competitive. Maybe it's the same scoreline at this point, but at least more competitive uh, results. And, and you know, that, that, I think that's number one on the list for me. And then everything works back from there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, a friend of the show, Jonathan Liu, uh, tweeted something about that, didn't he? A, a tweet that did great business. You know, that to say that. England simply aren't good enough is a strange thing to say because what's actually happened is the senior players haven't really performed. Like there, there are players in this team who can do a lot better than what they've they've shown in this series, and that's very true. But that being said, it was quite predictable. I think that this would happen. You know, we we had some optimism coming into the series, but we still both predicted. You predicted four one. I would have predicted that, but I didn't want to do the same, so I went three one. Yeah, we I mean, thought I, yeah, we'd exactly. be here, didn't we? And and why did we think we'd be here? That's the question. I mean it. It's obviously very difficult to win in Australia, whoever you are. England haven't done it since, uh, have only done it once since 1986. And only about three teams have done it since then out of everybody in the world. So it's very hard to win in Australia. But nonetheless, the way that it's happened has been so predictable. And that's what's frustrating. You know, tail blown away in every game. Bowler's not quick enough. Spin are not good enough. James Vince nicking off. You know, it's it's all things that we thought would happen. They have happened. And well, with the exception, as you say, of some of the the new players like Milan have have impressed. But generally speaking, things have gone very much the way that we thought. And there's a, a, a pattern with this team where, 
you know, they've they've now lost seven tests in a row away from home and, and haven't won any of their last nine. It's frustrating. I, d- I don't want to keep talking about the squad they selected because I've talked about that <laughs> enough. But do you know what I mean? Like, it's just things that in September when they picked the squad, this is what I thought would happen. And it's really uh, annoying as a fan that they couldn't see it coming in the way that the rest of us could. And it is, it does add up to a pretty depressing looking record in Australia. I mean, we, you know, in our lifetimes... As I say, uh, since 1986-87, when they when they won, they've only won three live tests. So that's that is my entire lifetime. Tone England have won three tests that was you know where the series was still up for grabs. That's not quite your entire lifetime, but it is my entire <laughs> lifetime. I mean, so one thing that this does do actually is just make me think: How good was that performance in 2010? How much better is that, are those players becoming? as time goes on it's true uh yeah that again probably didn't well i didn't really appreciate it at the time yeah but probably not in yeah not subsequently have sort of forgotten it a bit too quickly took it for granted i think partly people have written it off as oh that wasn't a great australia team which it wasn't it wasn't as good as this one but they still had michael clark and ricky ponting and quite a lot of in michael hussey simon katich quite a lot of very good players uh, who would still walk into any team you know, it was still a tremendous achievement. And what when you think about that team, you think like some of the players that stand out, Graham Swan, Chris Tremlett, you know, how much better does Chris <laughs> Tremlett look what now? What would you give for Chris Tremlett? Well, this is it. Because, you know, that world-class spin of Swan and, and genuine pace of Chris Tremlett are the things that have been sorely absent uh, in this present England bowling attack. I mean, so in terms of the spin... Moeen's performance, I think, should you know, has possibly not come under enough scrutiny, and I would say that, wouldn't I? But he really has had an absolute shocker, hasn't he? And and even if you leave aside his batting, which has been very poor, he's averaging more than a hundred with the ball in this series, and that's supposedly what he's he's in the team for mainly. And unfortunately, I think that was pretty predictable as well. I mean, yes, he's had this cut on his finger, which has obviously affected him. He's obviously just a bit out of form as well and you know players are allowed to have bad series but there is a this is a longer term thing with Moeen and I know he's done well at times not least this summer against South Africa but actually and and he's improved he's very definitely improved since he first came into the team but actually after 47 test matches he averages 39 with the ball and I do I still feel like his ability with the bat which he hasn't shown in this series but his ability with the bat buys him a latitude with the ball that he wouldn't otherwise have you know he people are not staring at that bowling average in the face because he's this very useful all-rounder but I just don't think he's good enough to be England's leading and only spinner especially going in a big series to Australia where you have to have a a world-class spinner I don't know have I gone off the deep end again time would would, (laughs) would you play Moeen in in Melbourne at this point I mean, I don't think England have many choices, do they, really? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it would be... A, it, I guess it's kind of what we said at the start, you know, that Mason Crane would probably come in with England you know, decimated. Yeah. Uh, you know, which isn't going to be easy. No, I, I agree with everything you said about Moeen. You know, I, I really like him as a cricketer. Mm. I think he's he has got a huge amount to give. I, he's a really likeable guy think, as well. I think it would be tough... Yeah, I think it would be tough to be too harsh on him in the, you know, singularly just because... It's not just him that's been poor. It has, you know, it has been a bit of a, you know, it's a collective effort, hasn't it? Uh, and, you know, form is, is catching a little bit and, and certainly a losing mentality seems to have crept in very quickly, although not in the case of the sort of long-term record on the, on the road. But uh, the momentum has definitely been going away from England from day one, more or less. Well, from day two, probably. <laughs> yeah. So you can see why, you know, yeah. it's hard for him to... But, uh, you know, but then... You know, as, the, as selectors, they've got to be thinking a little further ahead. And obviously, Moeen has got to this stage. You know, he is a he's definitely worthy international cricketer. Uh, but he has he's eating a lot of development time that other bowlers could have and could be having. Well, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. He's a really useful player. I think he'd be a fabulous support spinner. Um, or, you know, if he was in there as an all-rounder with another spinner as well. And, and but, presumably, you know, off the field, if he was just in the team as a batsman, he could focus on his batting and then he could enjoy his bowling yeah. and, and, and be used in that sense and, and maybe be a better batsman then. But. And I think he considers himself to be a batsman first and foremost. But 
I just think it's a very strange thing that for the last four years England have had as their only spin bowler someone who actually can, doesn't consider himself to be a frontline spinner. And I mean, it is difficult because as with a lot of areas in the team, there's no obvious replacement. But as he says, there are guys around who could be given a go. If you don't give someone like Jack Leach a go, and he's been the best spinner in county cricket for the last few years, how do you know really if he's not good enough? And you'd have to say that in this series, Moeen has been a waste of a spot, unfortunately. And I, like, I do feel bad saying that because he's, as I say, he's a really likable guy. And it's also, it's not his fault. I'm not angry with him. I'm not that angry, to be honest, but I'm not, I'm not frustrated with him. It's frustrating that, the, that he's being selected still. And what about the seam bowlers, Tone? I mean, after, after Australia racked up the best part of 700, uh, you'd have to think they're going to be licking their wounds this week. Stuart Broad with the 12th worst ever bowling figures in test history. Did you know that? What did he get? None for 142. How worried should we be about Broad? He's not had a good year. He's taken 25 wickets at 40 this year. His last five wicket haul in Test cricket was two years ago. There seems to be a bit of a movement that you know that we could be coming to the end of of the road for Broad. What 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 do you reckon? Yeah, I definitely expected more from him. Only on the basis that I thought in a, you know he has been a a great performer in Ashes cricket and he's had great moments great spells and he thought he'd be up for it and, and he was very good would, in australia four years ago of course yeah you know i thought he'd extract a little bit more out of himself uh yeah i think it is worrying because you know and you take anderson as well they haven't got long left yeah uh, yeah as has been proved with trying to find other options there aren't many so mm. you know, the end is nigh and there's not much in the cupboard and that's what's difficult about it i mean it in a way it feels like we could be uh, in a 2008 moment. Do you remember in, in New Zealand in 2008, England left out Harmison and Hoggard and it was a real shock and actually Hoggard never played again for England. It's like a real shocking moment but they replaced them with Anderson and Broad and they came in and that was, I mean, they both played before but that was when they established themselves in the team and, and never looked back and it could be a similar moment where you think, well, you know, it doesn't necessarily feel like it should be the end of their careers but it could be a moment where you go, actually, we're going to draw a line under that and bring some new people in. But the problem now is that there aren't the obvious replacements. In 2008, there was Anderson and Broad. <laughs> now, there aren't those guys that would obviously come in. So yeah, as, as I say, as with other areas of the team, that is the issue, isn't it? And, and as a unit, the, the seam bowlers, I was going to say the pace bowlers, but the seam bowlers um, have been incredibly disappointing. Haven't they? I mean, and what's strange about it is that I think individually, you can say nice things about all of them not necessarily in this series, like you can't really say many nice things about Broad in this series, but Stuart Broad is Stuart Broad. Jimmy Anderson's Jimmy Anderson. Wokes was brilliant last year and he's bowled okay in this series. Overton has arguably been the pick of the bowlers um, and certainly done really well considering he's on debut. Um, but just as a unit, they haven't, you know, they've, they've, they've lacked bite, haven't they? And, and they've certainly lacked pace. We, uh, we had a tweet from uh, Edward Barron uh, who, when I said, oh, I wonder what we'll talk about on tonight's uh, podcast, he said, hopefully not the lack of pace. England's best two quicks have been their slowest. It's not necessarily pace lacking, it's consistency, control and skills. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, think, it's an do, you, int- do you think the pace, the discussion about pace has been overdone a bit? A red herring. Uh, in true layman's term, you know, I've never played international cricket, but even as a what? youngster, you know, pace is difficult so I, I i would i would find it hard to believe that if you added 10 miles an hour to every england bowler they wouldn't have taken more wickets hmm. so i thought it was like you know how switch hit have mark butcher i thought you were like our our ex pro oh, i've got loads of test in the studio. loads look around the room so we're always under that impression uh do you know what i mean though so in that sense I don't think pace hurts, does it? It mm. literally does, but uh, I don't think it, it, you know, the extra pace would have done England any harm. But, he, you know, obviously you need more than pace and Australia's bowlers have shown pace and purpose. Mm. Yeah, pace on its own isn't enough and you don't have to have pace to take wickets. But it really doesn't hurt. If you've got the other skills and you add the pace, suddenly it's difficult as a batsman, isn't it? And as we said last time, just on these kinds of surfaces when there's not much happening, 
just makes such a difference having that extra pace. Even if it's just one bowler. I think that's the thing about this England sack. There's not even one bowler who you can bring on. To tr- you know, when you've got that S- Smith and Mar- Marsh partnership going along, and it's been an ages since the wicket, and you just bring on your real demon fast bowler for a kind of four over spell just to see if you can bounce somebody out England just haven't got that it's just for Joe Root it's just okay medium pacer what do I do now another medium pacer you know it's it definitely I I think Joe Root would probably say (laughs) that he would like to have a bit of extra pace at his disposal and and also it it makes a massive difference against the tail doesn't it and again that's been a problem in this series hasn't it it's uh, Australia's tail has scored so many more runs than England's yeah, I mean, that's it. I think, you know, up and down the lineups, Australia. I mean, have you, have you, have you put together a, a sort of mid series, to call it that, composite 11? I haven't. I was going to do one at the end of the series. So I'm sorry to disappoint that's you. That's all right. Have you put one together? No, I haven't. I mean, this is your thing now, isn't it? You're trying to take over. I haven't. Uh, me out. But, you know, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I mean, there's always been a lot of, uh, avenues in which people can express their opinions about stuff you know the the newspapers traditionally have been you know the main source of stuff but you know now as i said there's been so much written about it and so many people trying to find but i i do there is a sense in british sport that in english sport as well you know england expect to win the world cup in football and the world cup in rugby and be the best cricket team in the world and i mean it it can't always have obviously there's more to this there is a pattern england have been you know, stumbling around in the dark a bit in terms of selection for the for the last well for the in, in recent times uh th- there's not really been a, a very successful transition from a, a very good team to now i don't think it's going to last forever you know people everyone's pointing at the county game there's very mm. and there, you know nothing's perfect but then no one was complaining about the county game when middlesex won on the last day it was like oh the county championship is back it's it's brilliant well yeah in terms of entertainment yeah but but in terms of, you sort of I, I don't know, we can't have it every way. We can't have, uh, you know, I don't think England are ever going to be the best in the world at every format, and the county championship is going to be amazing. Well, no, so that, yeah, so this we is, can't have everything. No, well, that's certainly true, and this is obviously the question, isn't it? Because having talked about, you know, having talked at length about Moeen and uh, the pace bowlers, and you know, we could talk about the batting as well. Alistair Cook, obviously. Uh, some people are saying he's he's at the end of the road as well we can talk for days about that but in a way it's kind of deck chair shuffling isn't it because the real problems are arguably systemic and and so you know having said I'm not angry with Moe and I'm not angry with these players I it's not the fault of the players I think they've given it absolutely everything yeah the senior players maybe you can question you can at least say well they should be playing better whether they're they're I'm sure they're trying their hardest but I don't think England have let themselves down, the, the players. So I'm not angry with them, but I think you can be angry with the selectors and I think you can, you definitely can be angry with the people running the game in England. And so uh, like there was a tweet from uh, Mike Selvey, the cricket writer. Funny how when any team loses at any sport, it is because they lack guts or willpower or pride or the system is wrong or the coaches need sacking, never because they have been outplayed, which does happen. Which I can see what he means, but the question, I think is why have they been outplayed? Yes, they have been outplayed, that's obvious. But why have they been outplayed? Why aren't England better in Australia? Why aren't they producing better spinners? Why isn't there a a raft of quality spinners to call on to replace Moeen? Why aren't they producing better pace bowlers? Why aren't they producing better batsmen? I know, as you say, we can't have everything, but why is it so difficult? Like we say, there's so many areas in the team and there are problems, but there aren't obvious candidates to replace them. Why is that? Why is it that at this juncture... County cricket doesn't seem to be producing players. Why is it uh, eight years since Jonathan Trott was the last guy, apart from Joe Root, to to come in and, and do well as a batsman in Test cricket? You know, why is the system not producing better than it is? I mean, it's not a new problem, though, is it? No, as you said, England have been, and it's kind of to flip the side of what I said last week or the week before, is that people have just assumed that England are terrible at cricket yeah. when it hasn't always been the case, but. For quite a lot of the time, they have been <laughs> relatively at poor at cricket in the sense that <laughs> you know the, the, they haven't got great results. So I, I, I don't think that's anything new, really. Yeah, but then when you know at the sort of the turn of the century, when they introduced central contracts and two divisions in county cricket, and things improved a lot from how they were in the nineties, and eventually ended up with England having this brilliant team. Well, firstly in two thousand four and two thousand five, and then again in sort of two thousand ten to twelve. 
Um, but things have definitely dipped off again, haven't they? And those players who were who were such a massive part of that team in 2010 to 12 are one by one retiring or, or dropping out of the team and, and there just aren't people to replace them. And it could just be a cyclical thing. Like that's certainly a possibility, but I don't know. I think it's it's wider than that. And, you know, there, there's a brilliant article from George DeBell on Crick Info. You know, he, he identifies various areas uh, where the ECB just aren't doing the right thing. And I would agree with him with a lot of those. I think the, the timing of the county championship season is a is a big problem the fact that it's kind of squeezed into two windows one right at the beginning of the summer and one right at the end of the summer you know not conducive to spin bowlers or and to batsmen facing spin bowlers or or really to any type of bowler other than a you know kind of medium pacers who wobble the ball around and the other thing and i'd be interested to know what you think about this the other thing is the focus that has been placed on white ball cricket since the disaster at the 2015 world cup you know Trevor Bayliss was brought in largely because of his experience in white ball cricket. And it does seem like he's much more comfortable and much more interested in white ball cricket than he is in red ball cricket. Um, and in lots of other ways, they're obviously placing a lot of emphasis on white ball cricket. And that has produced dividends. England are suddenly a brilliant limited overs team. So first, my two questions to you, Tony, are firstly, uh, do you think that could be the problem? The fact that the focus has shifted away from test cricket? And secondly, is it worth it? And, and that's a genuine question. If England win the World Cup in 18 months' time, some people will consider that a fair trade. You know, if England's test team uh, goes down the toilet, but we win the World Cup, some people will think that that was absolutely worth it. And we might even be some amongst them. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would think it probably is in a, in a sense. And, you know, I, I think that there was at least as much hand-wringing after, well, repeated World Cup and white ball global tournament failures possibly even more uh, i mean I, you know, I remember the, the world cup in the caribbean you know it was desperate in 2007 yeah and you know there was there was a big fallout from that and yeah it got to the point now we're going to the champions trophy this year and it you know didn't quite happen but you know england were favorites considered to have the best to be playing the best white ball cricket and funnily enough when you look at the team that that we had for that you know you take Obviously, Stokes uh, isn't here, but you look at the Plunkett and Wood as the the bowling. You know, the, these are the names that have been talked about as, as, as you know, having should be. What's the word? Actually? Having should be in the <laughs> test team, like <laughs> you know what I mean. The, these are these are the two names that have cropped up probably most often in terms of people who perhaps might have made a difference. Bowlers who might have made a difference to this Ashes series. So, so that's quite interesting. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, uh, there is a, there's an element of sort of whack-a-mole to it. And I don't know, can England ever expect to be really good at everything? You know, you, you, you squash one problem and another <laughs> one pops up. It's a good image, actually. But, I, I, but I'm just, and to, you know, you mentioned Bayliss there. I think he doesn't come out of this whole thing looking very what, good at all, nor Farbrace. And I know you mm. picked up on his post-match interview after day two. Uh, three, I think. Three. When when Australia only lost uh, one wicket, yeah, and he basically said like we've had a, we've had a good one. Yeah, there we, were some funny takes on that. We think we've done pretty well. There, <laughs> so. uh, and you know, I, I, I do to a certain extent I have some sympathy with that because you know what else can you say at that point? You've not lost the match. But then, yeah, some of Bayliss's comments after this one don't cast him in the best light. I don't think either. Sorry, yeah, the, the quote from Paul Farbrace after, yeah, taking one wicket on day three <laughs> and uh, Australia were like 500 for four was, watching from side on, our body language was good. We stuck at it. We just weren't quite good enough. We think we've done pretty well today. But yeah, this tweet from uh, someone called Dave Smith. Watching from the hills above Balaclava, our charge was good. We stuck at it. We just weren't quite good enough and got wiped out. <laughs> a couple of the survivors think we've done pretty well today. <laughs> Paul Farbrace, commander of the Light Brigade, 1854. <laughs> that did make me laugh. I mean, yeah. Uh, Sorry, yeah, you're saying again, what Bayless but, Yeah, but as Bayless well. as well doesn't come out of it looking particularly good at this point. It just, it, you know, him, uh, I think a couple of the things that George DeBell mentioned his article about him saying sort of not seem to remember when he took on the job yeah. uh, for one and also you know just saying that he, you know his sort of perhaps lack of knowledge uh, and contacts within the county game has, has cost him a bit as well and it does seem that the, the England team have been a bit short of ideas in terms of, of who the right people are to bring in 
Yeah, and I... I... That's not... Ju- I mean, you'd think that, you know, Bayliss's job is to coach the team. There are lots of other people who can advise on... and do advise on selections. He'll... You know, it, it can't all fall on him. No, absolutely. And uh, again, in that DeBell article, he's sort of saying, well, this is not his fault. Um, I can't remember what, exactly how he put it, but, you know, it's like just you're blaming the wrong person if you're blaming the coach. And that that's true. But then you sort of think, well, what's the point in his job if it's not to inspire his players to do better than this? Um, and I was a bit frustrated with Bayliss after Adelaide when, you know, they asked him if, he, if, they, if there'd be changes to the team. He said, well, you know, I don't think there's really any need to panic. And it's, you know, I thought, well, no, there's no need to panic, but that doesn't, like, <laughs> like it's not either you stick with the same team or you're panicking. I don't know, it's 2 nil down in the ashes. Like, you've got to do something. Um, so anyway, I, yeah, I, I agree. He's, he's not coming out of it looking brilliant. But then, as you say, he's he's clearly had a big impact in in limited overs cricket, and I, I don't I don't I'm not sure that I would say if England win the World Cup, I'm not sure that I would necessarily at this point I don't feel like I'd say that it was worth it um, if this is the trade off, and I wouldn't want it to be the case that England you know to win the World Cup England need to accept like ten or fifteen years of mediocrity <laughs> in Test cricket, and it shouldn't be the case that it's one or the other. For example. Australia 10 years ago were world champions and clearly the best test team in the world. You know, I don't know yeah. why it has to be that you're either good at one or you're good at the other. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't like the idea that England are going to take their focus off test cricket and that's fine. We're, we're sounding very, very doom and gloom and I don't know whether that's entirely justified. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's much easier to win at home, but England did beat South Africa at home in the summer. They beat South Africa away a couple of years ago. Their results haven't been, you know, this isn't like the worst England team ever. I've just always been a little frustrated with some of the conversation about this team as though they're much better than they are. But there are a few positives to take away from this series and it's not over yet. Like there's still two tests to play. It does feel like it's going to be a whitewash, but it won't necessarily be. Uh, And if they win a game or two, suddenly things look a little bit different if it doesn't change, even if it doesn't change the final result. One big positive, at the the, uh, presentation, it did make me laugh, Um, Joe Root was asked, you know, uh, what are the positive... Joe Root started talking about the partnership between Milan and Bairstow, and then Mark Nicholas said, oh, yeah, you know, what what have been the positives from this series? And Root kind of went, oh, you know, I think that partnership, and Nicholas was like, yeah, no, apart from the partnership, and Root just panicked. (laughs) You could see the panic just uh, race across his face. Uh, and he couldn't think of any. He's like, uh, Vinci, I think, has been... But yes, that partnership was really impressive, wasn't it? Uh, Milan, in particular, 140. I thought he batted really confidently. And it does seem like he's, you know, he's booking himself in for a long run now. And he's a great player to watch, isn't he? He's, those sort of big, booming cover drives. That swivel pull that he played very effectively against the fast bowlers. And one thing that people have been talking about a lot is, oh, is the maturity of someone like David Milan. You know, he's... He's coming into the team at sort of advanced stage and he's really bringing that maturity to bear. And uh, that's a bit worrying to him because he's actually our age. Or in fact, he's a bit younger than you. Not younger than me, but he's younger (laughs) than you. Um, It's it's, it's a bit scary that we're getting to that point, isn't it? It is. I mean, having said at the start of the series, you know, the the, the thing that's really exciting about it from my perspective is that, you know, when runs are scored, they'll really matter. And, you know, seeing Milan, I was like, oh, you know, I watched as much of it as I could in the morning as innings and I, I got to work and yeah, quickly put on the, yeah, put the cricket on on my phone and w- watched him get his hundred in the car. And, you know, it's like, yes, here Were we go. Driving? <laughs> no, no I was, I was, I'd pulled up at that point, <laughs> but you know, it was like, come on, get in there. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. You know, the, the series is alive. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Finally, you know, and England batsman stood up, you know, and then Mitch Marsh goes and scores 180 <laughs> and it's just like, oh, and so the end, those runs meant absolutely nothing. Rendered them less before, impressive. It was like, it's the third top scorer in the match. It's like, <laughs> so just, I don't know, annoying in that mm. sense. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another very mature player who's our age, Tone, is Mark Stoneman. Uh, And he was the subject, you might remember on the first day, of a very controversial moment uh, when he was given out caught behind. uh, It was determined that he'd gloved one behind. That feels like weeks ago. (laughs) It's a very long time ago. Um, uh, But it was was given not out on the field and uh, Australia reviewed it and Alim Dar, the third umpire, gave it out off the basis of a... There was nothing on Hotspot, or he couldn't really see... You couldn't see the gloves on the replay, but there was nothing on Hotspot, but there was a, a mark on Snicker, and he gave it out on that basis. Funny enough, so I was just thinking, funny enough, talking about banishing you know, memories, if you, if you had said, which test did that happen in, I'd have said the second. <laughs> <laughs> well, so much has happened yeah. since then. Um, I've had several balls of the century since then. Yeah, exactly. So. But yeah, this was an extremely controversial moment at the time, or at least I thought so, uh, because... As I say, you couldn't really see the gloves in the frame and clearly one of them was off the bat and so it was impossible to tell really uh, which of the gloves it had hit and Alim Dar just went, yeah, yeah, Mark on Snicker, that's how you've got to reverse your decision. So I was absolutely incensed about this <laughs> at the time, Tone, and now I appreciate... Milk it. flying everywhere. <laughs> just Rice Krispies. <laughs> just the whole street waking up by the sound of a bowl of cereal slamming into the wall. <laughs> crockery everywhere i appreciate that in the wider picture of the match <laughs> uh, it ended up being fairly insignificant but having said that i do i hope that it doesn't get totally forgotten because i thought that was a pretty horrendous bit of umpiring and i know that not everyone would agree with that like it's subsequently come out that or that a uh, picture has come out from a different angle that wasn't available at the time much later they saw an angle that a lot of people said oh yeah it looks like it's touched the glove uh, it did touch the glove that was on the bat. I'm not sure that, that was conclusive at all. No, I don't think that new the new angle was conclusive at all. And that certainly doesn't prevent what happened before being terrible umpiring. Mm. It was awful. Yeah. I genuinely believe that Alim Dar forgot about the rule that if your hand's off the bat, then you can't be out. Because that was, would be staggering. But he was so quick to just be like, oh yeah, there's Mark on Sicker, so that must be out. Like there was no thought of like, well, which glove is it? He was just like, oh yeah, Mark on Snicko, job done. But you couldn't see which glove it was, but one of them was clearly off the bat. It, it, it is happening with, I think it's happening with too much regularity. That's the second time in the series that an England player has been given out way too quickly. Mm. Where you're just like, whoa, Hank, slow down here. They're like, oh yeah, there we go. It's like... That was uh, Wokes at Wokes, Adelaide, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, which, which the other one. Which I, I didn't think was out. Uh, but if it was out, take a bit more time to exactly, to yeah, work no, it out. yeah, exactly. And this one, maybe that one was out, but <laughs> but this one, yeah, they, 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 it was just it was awful. It was. I still don't think it was out, or at least I don't think there's any evidence to, that proves that it's out. It was like a car crash in fast forward. It was like, oh god, like it just <laughs> everything happened. So you're like, what are you doing? Yeah, just pull back. And it the yeah, well, first, what I'm really confused about now, uh, the, the thing I've come away not. It's not the only thing I'm confused about. But the Snicko thing, I always thought that the middle of the Snicko bar was the, the, the current frame that you were mm. seeing. So the Snick, if the, yeah, if the ball was in vision, was by the bat, and the Snick was to the, to the right of the, the little Snicko bar, yeah. Snickometer, if you like, uh, then that meant that the Snick was, was sort of coming. It was like two or three frames later. Did, have I just got that wrong all along? Because obviously the, 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 the snick that you're seeing is a passage of time. You're not seeing one frame, mm. I don't think. Cause, or are you? I don't know. But even then, I don't know. But it also... Maybe we need to go behind the scenes at DRS. That'd be great, actually. 
Um, I'm not sure Alim Dar would appreciate us just standing behind <laughs> just him. Just leaving. Come on, Alim. <laughs> but also, it's you know, it's one of those that's like, well, if there's nothing on Hotspot, but there is something on Snicko, that's always out. But if it's the other way around, it's not always. Out. I don't know. It's I don't know how much consistency there is. And yeah, it's certainly like that was a, a crazy pace that he made that decision and it doesn't inspire whether or not it was out and some people think it was i i don't think it's conclusive and you know i i would say it wasn't out whether but whether or not it was it doesn't inspire much confidence in alim dar as a third umpire because it just seemed like he had no idea what he was doing and as you said there have been a couple of other occasions where that's been the case it's really not as difficult as they make it look. <laughs> no. Like literally everybody watching at home could have <laughs> done that process better than Alim Dar, who supposedly does it for a living. And and, and this isn't a problem with DRS. That's something that, fr- oh, that yeah, annoyed me. Oh, yeah, exactly right, yeah. Is that, you know, people were like, oh, DRS again, causing controversy. It's not the fault of the system. It's the fault of the human beings implementing the system and the solution to that like people are like oh we may as well go back to just <laughs> how it was before the solution is not to rely on those same human those exact same human beings more it's to get better at using the system it is worrying isn't it that yeah the, the, the umpires are actually worse with evidence and, <laughs> and the ability to review the evidence in front of them bizarre yeah yeah We're, like worse than the people watching yeah than the viewership no, that was, an, that was an infuriating moment. Yeah. I agree with you on yeah. that. Um, okay, so, so after all of that, uh, where are we? After Adelaide, you said that a whitewash was the most likely outcome. Uh, obviously, it appears to be even more likely now, as <laughs> it's 3-0 rather than 2-0. Uh, but is there any reason to think that a whitewash isn't going to happen, or is that nailed on now? <laughs> uh, I don't know, I... I I think you're right. I think it is more likely. It's just become more likely. It was already the most likely. Well, actually, it, I was quoting you. Yeah, so you, well, I was right. You think you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, only because the, the currency... I mean, it's going to take something... Uh, yeah, I think we said it before this test. It's going to take someone to play way out of their skin. Not necessarily in terms of their career trajectory, but in terms of the series trajectory. Is one batsman going to be able to provide that? Probably not. And is it, does it look like it's going to come from one of the bowlers? No. I don't think it's impossible for England no, to win a game by any means. All. They'll probably enjoy the conditions more at Melbourne than they did in Perth. They just need everything to go right, don't they? They need everything to fall in the, into place. They need to somehow get Smith out early. You know, they need one of their key batsmen to perform. You know, it, so like if Root, if England bat first and Root makes 150, um, and then they get Smith out early in the second inning, you know, they're, they're, there's, it's not. I don't think the gap between the teams is the same as it was four years ago. And in that sense, if it ends as a whitewash. You know, that would be worse. (laughs) Well, yeah, but that would actually, it would be worse, I suppose. (laughs) But that would be like a strange thing if they, if you had identical results, because I think the, the teams are actually closer together than they were then. But it's good. Like the England dressing room now, it's, it must be quite a tough task to kind of lift themselves from this. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't really mentioned Cook and Root yet, Mm. but obviously Cook looks way out of it, you know, way off at the moment. And you know, and the, the the noises aren't good, are they? And, you know, people who obviously know him very well, like mm. Graham Swan, has basically all but said that he's he's sort of lost interest at this yeah. point, which is which is worrying. You know, a, a hungry Cook is still undroppable for me. If he if he wants it, if in a good team Cook wasn't getting any runs, he'd be like, well, we've got a good team anyway. He's going to come good at some point. We can carry him. In a bad team, who's not and no one's getting many runs, he'd be like, well. Cook's going to come good at some point. God, we need Cook. But a non-hungry Cook is a bit worrying. A hungry Cook is normally the last uh, yeah. thing you want, isn't it? At a restaurant. <laughs> you never get your dinner. Yes, I mean, I, yeah, I, I've heard those noises as well, Tone, that people have said he's kind, of, uh, he's, he's kind of lost the appetite for it. But I don't know, he's still only 32. I mean, I would say, why doesn't he just like, take a year off? Like, it seems crazy that he'd say, yeah, that's it, I'm retiring. I'm never coming back because, yeah, you could have a year out of the game, you know, or just playing county cricket. And then maybe at the start of next summer, you know, 2019, maybe he might fancy again. I mean, that, 
you know, it depends what happens to the England team in between. If they find a replacement who succeeds, then, you know, that... Seems they haven't found a replacement. <laughs> seems unlikely, his partner. Yeah. Although, yeah. I do, having said that, Stoneman, I do like Stoneman. He's done all right, hasn't he? Um, but yes, I hope it's not the end. He doesn't... He's obviously horrendously out of nick at the moment. Um, but, yeah, he's got, you know, what, 12 years on Mizbar? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. like, he, uh, he could have a lot more cricket ahead of him. One idea that's been floating around is uh, the suggestion to change the schedule for future Ashes series in Australia, change the order in which the Test matches are played. And this is largely because <laughs> this is now, what, the fourth series out of five at least, uh, where we're going to Melbourne for the Boxing Day test, the kind of marquee test of, of the Australian summer, and the Ashes are already gone. So the fourth test is in Melbourne, the fifth test are in Sydney, Australia's two biggest population centres, the two biggest grounds, the two most iconic occasions, and the series is over. And yeah, suggestion, uh, Dean Jones, I think, has proposed this. Uh, they changed the order so that Melbourne and Sydney, I think, are the second and third tests, he suggested. And have, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, though, because presumably they're always going to want Melbourne to have the Boxing Day test. Yeah, but you could just move things back, back a bit. So yeah, you'd have, say, Adelaide and Perth in January. Um, I think that's a good idea. I think it's a cracking idea as well because, you know, with all the Christmas hubbub that's going on, you know, what else are you going to be doing in January but watching cricket mm. all through the night? I know, we've been really busy like, like doing yeah. that photo shoot for the <laughs> yeah. Cricket Show Christmas photos. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Well, look at my work do on Saturday. It, it wiped out a whole day's play for me. <laughs> <laughs> a washout. Yeah, no, it's true. Much like Tony Kerr towards the end of Christmas Day, this episode of The World Cricket Show has become bloated and sleepy and increasingly unintelligible. And we're all ready now to uh, settle in and watch Mrs. Brown's Boys. Uh, so let's draw a line under it there, shall we? Have you had fun tonight, Tim? It's been good. It's cheered me up. <laughs> good. <laughs> An hour of just <laughs> wallowing. Waffle. Yeah, waffly wallowing <laughs> has really got me in a, a good mood. Well, Merry Christmas. Cheers. Forget everything we've just talked about. This is the most important question I'll ask you tonight. Are you feeling Christmassy? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, a little bit. Yeah. You're getting into it this year. Yeah. You've got where you live, you've got the Tree of Joy just outside. This is Guernsey's massive uh, Christmas tree, light, Christmas light tree extravaganza, is right outside your window. Yeah, we were, we, it was originally we were going to try and form the World Creek Show Christmas photo around it, mm. but it didn't quite work. So we've we've gone for a different concept. Your girlfriend who was taking the photo was uh, you were giving her you were you were giving her quite a hard time. <laughs> well, <laughs> direction, well, I had a quite con- demanding director. <laughs> I had a vision in my head. It, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. trying to get it to. I wanted her to, to to realize that for me. But mm. yeah, no, the tree of joy I think is really something to be fond of. Actually, Emily was, was saying that you, you quite often, you're lying in bed, you're just there like, oh, look, it's the tree of joy. Oh, it's great, isn't it? You so love the tree of if joy. You ever, can you put a picture of the tree of joy on, on uh, Instagram? Sure. Yeah. Perhaps. I'll send you a picture. I'll take one, okay. lovingly framed. <laughs> uh, but no, because it, it, basically it's a mast, and all year long it's a giant mast on a roundabout. On Kenzie's only roundabout. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at winter... At Christmas, rather. At winter. At winter, they string up all these lights from the, the bottom to the top and put a little crystal on the top, which twinkles. Mm. Uh, but it, I think it's quite spectacular. It is bloody massive for Guernsey. And also, just the way Guernsey's geography means that sort of all down the coast on one side, you can always see it. You can see it nice. from most of the island. Yeah. Mm. When you fly in, it's quite cool as well. Yeah. <laughs> you just absolutely love the tree of joy. <laughs> I really like it. I mean, I like how much you love it. Have you got your shopping done this year? No. I've been waiting for you to send me that Amazon link. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's on our website, isn't it? Cricketshow.net. That was a good segue to, yeah. for me to talk about all the ways that listeners can uh, support the show financially um, and non-financially. Uh, yeah, cricketshow.net. Find a, a link to Amazon. So yeah, anything you buy through Amazon, if you click that link, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but uh, we get a little bit of a kickback. If you want to make a regular donation to the World Cricket Show, you can do that at patreon.com slash cricket show. Uh, and again, we'd, we'd like to thank all our patrons for uh, helping us to uh, get hold of this very exciting equipment. I wasn't really sure how that sentence was going to end. Uh, and yeah, we're all over social media, aren't we? As you mentioned, our Instagram account is at World Cricket off. Show. That is very much taking off and god knows what's going to happen when we post this christmas photo it's going to be like kim kardashian isn't it break the internet uh well no the photo's not going to be the photo's, the photo's not going to be anything like that photo apart from it's going to break the internet uh we're on twitter as well at cricket show and we're on facebook at cricket show uh and yeah that's pretty much it i think apart from to say if you uh want to review us on whichever podcast platform you use itunes or whatever that is a really great way uh, to support what we do because it does help to bring new people to the show so yeah I think that's about it have a great Christmas Tone I won't, I won't see you now until after Christmas uh, so enjoy yourself Merry Christmas don't get too obliterated <laughs> yeah, we'll see you after Melbourne well if we can face it yeah uh, but yeah stay in school everyone have a lovely Christmas enjoy the nut roast and yeah we'll see you next time cheers bye bye for Merry now Christmas. Merry Christmas Can smell your fear. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 